Welcome to Building with Brick, Foundational Wisdom on Coaching, Careers, and Christ. This leadership podcast was spawned by Coach Brickner's book, So You Want to Be a Coach, which is the story of a corporate executive who made a drastic career change and became a head men's basketball coach. Dr. Brickner's book is available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook on Amazon.com or go to his website, www.drjoebrickner.com. That's drjoebrickner.com. Now, here's this week's podcast. Welcome back, folks. My guest, Tony Groflo. He was a athletic trainer for the Chicago Cubs for more than a decade. He has had some great experiences and has shared quite a bit of his wisdom with us so far. There's some other areas that we want to get into about what it takes to be an athletic trainer and that type of thing. But before we do, I still I want to catch. Tony, with maybe three of your highlights of, of your career. Well, obviously, probably the biggest highlight was when we won the division, National League East Division back in 1984. Mm-hmm. It was a highlight because we had done something that no other Cub team had done since 1945. Mm-hmm. So it took 39 years and we were going to the playoffs. That was a big deal. We clinched uh, the championship in Pittsburgh. We flew back to Chicago. And when we landed, the pilot came on and said, we cannot go to our nominal place because the airport is closed. There were so many people at the airport. They had to bus us to a staging area where you stood on the stage and as far as you could see were Cub fans. Wow. I mean, that is something. And then the last game of the year, we played the Cardinals. And so we're going to start to play off two days later. And Dallas Green called down and says, the people will not leave. So you got to go for an encore. So the entire team threw some clothes on and we walked around Wrigley Field with 40,000 screaming fans just showing their appreciation for what we had done. So that probably had to be the number one. Um, I think the other highlights were my two all-star games I worked. One in uh, Cleveland and one in Chicago in 1983, which was great. We were at my home city, not at my home field, but the home city. I think that had to be a highlight. And probably, I would just say probably my first big league game in the major leagues in Chicago. That was that was a highlight, making me think that here I am 26 years, 27 years old being at the top of my profession on the biggest stage in the world. That's my, it's my job, taking care of these athletes. So I think those had to be the biggest highlights of my career. That's that's great. I know you spent 12 years of Catholic education and then went to Benedict's for four more years after that. I was kind of interested in knowing two things, you know, how did that education help you in, in your career? And then how did your faith guide you? Was was there an involvement of your faith within that career? I think I, I really I really relied on my faith for a lot of things because being in the profession, you really have to really devote yourself to something. 
you know, I always say that there's three important things in my life, and it's my faith, my family, and my profession. Those are the three things that really kept me going. And traveling so much, it was really hard trying to practice my faith because there's a lot of times we had games on Sunday afternoons and I had to try to find, you know, a church in some town we were at, trying to find a church close by that I could sneak the mass before, not sneak, but try to get the mass before we went to the ballpark. Mm-hmm. And it was difficult at times. I always had that faith, you know, that there was something, there's a reason why I'm doing what I'm doing. And it had to be my faith. You don't want to prophesy, you know, to, to other people. And I, I believe that faith is an, an internal thing. Mm-hmm. And you really have to go on how you were raised and what you believed. And that kind of leads you down the path of where you want to go. And that's why my faith has really been a big part of it. And just knowing that and knowing of my support system that I had, if it wasn't for my faith and my support system I had, I wouldn't achieved everything that I had in my career. I've done a lot, but if it wasn't for my wife, you know, she's put up with this stuff for 49 years mm-hmm. and I missed birthdays. I missed Mother's Day. I missed Father's Day. I missed, you know, everything. When, you know, she was going to her, her brother's wedding without me. You know, she was moving a house from Chicago, from St. Louis to Chicago. And I I put her in a strange city where a month after we're there, we get a blizzard of 27 inches of snow, you know? (laughs) Yeah. It's because it's because of the faith, my faith and my support system that helped me achieve what I have. And it's really, it's really important that you could, I don't see how people can do anything in life without a strong faith. Being raised, uh, maybe it's guilt, but, you know, being raised in Catholics as we were when we were younger, there's always this guilt trip they throw on you, you know, <laughs> but it grows from that. I still, to this day, I look back on my time I spent at, at Vianney High School and my time I spent at St. Benedict's and Benedictine and people like Father Hugh. I mean, he was such a big influence in my life. We would have talks because he was in charge of the finances. I used to go there to get my money from him, you know, every two weeks, all all $15 of it, you know, but we used to talk and he really, in his own way, he really helped promote the importance of faith. And that really meant a lot to me. I mean, we talk about mentors. I mean, that man in his own way was a mentor to me in my faith. It really helped strengthen my faith. Well, interestingly, when and Father Hugh, for those people who haven't read my book, I talk about Father Hugh extensively in there. Father Hugh, when we were there, students was extremely involved with the student body. I mean, he was doing what you're just talking about, mentoring people and, and that type of thing. When I went back to be the head coach there 30 years later, he was up at the Abbey, and he was the basically the bookkeeper up there, had nothing to do with the college anymore, and his spirit was gone. And you remember his spirit. I mean, yeah. he was just feisty and just... Yeah. And, and, and so I asked him to come and be our chaplain for our basketball team. Now, no other team had a chaplain of their own, but I asked him, and, and he thought about it very seriously and got permission from the Abbey and came back. And he became a revitalized man 
and the experience that you had with him, my players had with him too. Yeah. And and so, so many of them showed up when, uh, when he passed away, I I, I bet there were 30, 40 players that came to his funeral, which was amazing to go all the way up to Atchison from wherever they were. But he, it was, it was great to have somebody like that. And, and obviously you experienced that yourself when you were at St. Benedict's. Yeah, he was, he was, he was a great man. And he, in his own quiet way, he had, he would really get you to think in about your faith mm-hmm. and it really strengthened it. You know, mm-hmm. you know, I think about him every day. I pray for him. I pray for him every day. Oh, I pray for you. him. I pray for him every day. And as I get older, you know, my strength, my faith is getting stronger. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's a sign of getting old, that you know that you're closer <laughs> yeah. to where your ultimate goal is. But it's because of people like Father Hugh that that really put that, not that the brothers of Mary and Vianney didn't do that, but I think the close contact we had with him really helped strengthen my faith. And it really helped me through my career. It really did. Yeah, I have the same, I think probably the same opinion as you do it's really hard to understand how some people can get through the really difficult times without faith you know what yeah. do they what do they fall back on and you don't have to wear it on your sleeve and and i i don't know if you guys had anything in your locker room i know some of the teams would have prayer groups and things like that and then you, you know i'm sure you probably had some discussions with some of your players about faith over time but it isn't something you can sit out there and just jam it down people's throat and that type of thing. It's, 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 it's an internal thing. It's a very personal thing. Yeah. We used to have on Sunday in, in, uh, in the club, us used to have chapel oh, and they'd bring in, they'd bring somebody in to do like a little Bible study and non, non-denominational stuff. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, I really didn't go to any of that because I tried to go to church on my own whenever I could. Right. And, Basically, I was busy while they were doing chapel. I was busy taking care of people. So I couldn't stop what I was doing and say, I'm going to go to chapel. I think I think it has to be, like you said, it's got to be personal. I mean, I think a lot of people, my opinion, I think a lot of people did it to make people think that, well, he's going to chapel. He's a great person and all yeah, that kind of stuff, yeah. you know, but I, I don't, I'm never one to go out and preach, you know, you can <laughs> believe hard? what you you can believe what you want to believe. I believe what I'm going to believe. Not saying what you believe is wrong, but I'm going to have my faith, and that's what's important to me and my family. And and it gets th- it gets through you. I mean, believe me, when I when we started Tebats, I I didn't know if I was going to have a job, and right. I just put it in God's hands and say, yeah. it is what it is. You know, if you want it to continue, it'll continue. If you want it to end, we'll find something else to do. And He took care of us. That's great. I I wanted to also ask you well and i know the answer to this question i think but did you have any career regrets yeah i do i think uh my biggest i think one of the regrets is i had a chance to go to pt school when i was working for the cubs because our team doc was at northwestern and he could have got me into pt school mm-hmm. but it would have taken 10 years because i could only do it in the off season uh, yeah i had to think about my family right i had to work in the off season Athletic trainers don't get those guaranteed $5 million contracts or $50 million <laughs> contracts. So I had to work. That came as a priority. I think that was one of the regrets I had. The re- uh, other regrets was maybe I could have spent more time with my family when I was working in baseball. 
I think the biggest reason I got out of baseball is we had a father kid game at Wrigley Field and my middle son rode with me and my other two sons rode with my wife and we're coming home and he was eight years old at the time. And I said, would you have a good time today? He goes, oh yeah, it was great. I did this with this guy and I had my own uniform. And he said, but you know what, dad? He said, everybody thinks I'm lucky that I can play ball at Wrigley Field, but you know what? They get to go on vacations. And here's a eight-year-old kid saying, dad, you're not home, you know? And that kind of threw a light switch on saying, maybe you better reconsider doing some other things. Mm. I always promised my wife, if I ever got maxed out on my pension, I'm getting out of this rat race. And when I said it, it was 20 years. Do you need to be on 20 years? Mm. Well, after the strike in 81, they changed it to 10. (laughs) And I had just done my 10 years. And I said, you know what? I'm done. You know, I just can't. There's more to life than me traveling on the road all the time and leaving them at home, you know? And I got to see a lot of my, my youngest son, I got to see him do everything. My middle son, I got to see most of him do his stuff. And my youngest son, I missed a lot at the beginning. But then as he got older, I still was able to see him do his high school stuff and that kind of stuff. So I think that was the regret that doing all this, yeah, I did a lot, but I missed a lot too. Yeah. And you try to make up for it. It's like when my grandkids were born. I'm seeing things that they did. I never see my own kids do. Like the first time they took their first step, the first time they said their first words. I never was around when that happened. And that stuff is important to me now. You know, back then I was just worried about the next game, you know? I think the general fan looks at professional athletes and think, boy, they've got it made. They've really got it made. But I don't think they understand the sacrifices that they and their family go through. Yeah. In, order, in order to be a professional athlete. And, you know, I've talked to a number of them in our podcast and, you know, baseball, basketball, and, and football, it just doesn't matter. You know, some are worse than others, but yeah. uh, it's it's just a real challenge and it's a sacrifice that the whole family has to make. And it's, right. it's not, I mean, it's you, not as glamorous as everybody thinks it is. Well, it's glamorous, but, you know, when you think you have to work, 10 months a year, seven days a week, 12 to 14 hours a day with no days off. Mm-hmm. You have a day off, you're either on an airplane flying someplace or somebody decides they need extra batting practice. So we lived in the suburbs. So it was an hour drive for me to the ballpark. It was like a regular day because I'd leave the same time to beat the traffic, to get to Wrigley Field. They'd have their workouts till one o'clock and then I drive home and I'd be getting right in the middle of traffic going home. Mm. So I'm still working my eight to 10 hour day, even on a day off. So it's funny, uh, you know, you say that what people think some friend of my dad told him, he said, well, your son's got the greatest job in the world. He just sits in the dugout and watch ball games every day. (laughs) Well, they don't know that I'm at the ballpark at noon for a seven o'clock game at night. So you don't get to do anything, you know, but you know, that's, you go in with your eyes wide open and some people can handle it. Some people can't. I was fortunate that I had the support at home that they could handle it. So what type of advice would you give to somebody who's thinking about being an athletic trainer, getting into that field? I think the biggest advice, like I said previously, you go into with your eyes wide open. Know what the job entails. And 
you do what it takes to get the job done. Athletic training is not your standard five days a week, nine to five job. I mean, it's weekends and long hours. And if you don't want to accept that, then you're in the wrong profession. And I think the problem with a lot of young athletic trainers today, they're dictated they can only spend X amount of hours in the athletic training room when they're in school. When they come out of school, because I've dealt with this a lot, they're thrown into the fire and you have to work six days a week and you're working till 10 o'clock at night sometime. And there's no spring breaks that you can go on vacation for. There's no weekends where you can go do something with your friends. Just go in with your eyes wide open. Know what the job entails and be a sponge and try to take in as much knowledge you can from your peers and from other athletic trainers. I always went by the motto, learn, try to learn something new every day in your profession. If it's from somebody older than you or younger than you, at least you're learning something new in a profession. And if you did that, that day is a success. Because I tell people, young kids, hey, you're teaching me. I'm trying to learn from you how to be a better athletic trainer. Mm-hmm. And they look at me like I got three heads, you know, but that's the way, that's the way this profession is. It's such an evolving profession that it changes constantly that you got to keep learning. So if you don't learn something new every day, you know what, that day, you don't want to mark it on your calendar as a blue ribbon day. But when you do learn something, that's a day you mark on your calendar as a good day. Mm, that's great advice. Now- are there things that athletic trainers, I mean, they're, they're involved with the team sports most of the time, et cetera. Are there other avenues that you could pursue, maybe a physical therapy or whatever, that are really tied closely to athletic training? Oh, yeah. I mean, like I said, you know, I wish I could have gone to my PT degree, but you work so closely with, uh, like you can work in a clinic. Um, you can become a physician, physician extender, like what I'm doing today to work in doctor's offices. There's a physician assistant school you can become involved in. A lot of athletic trainers have evolved in to become physician assistant or to become a physical therapist. I mean, there's so many things that all these professions kind of link together. There's, there's so many opportunities for athletic trainers today. I mean, in high schools alone, Like in Illinois, we try to have an athletic trainer in every single high school in Illinois because it's important. Those 14-year-old kids are just as important as a 30-year-old baseball player. So you got to have proper coverage. And that's important. There's so many avenues and so many different settings that athletic trainers can go to. So they, they have athletic trainers in, you know, work stud in, um, in uh, workers comp cases. There's so many things athletic trainers can do today. You know, you just don't have to be pigeonholed into professional sports or collegiate sports. There's so many things you can do nowadays. Well, Tony, this has just been terrific. Personally, I've learned a lot from the time we've spent together today, and I hope the folks that are in the audience listening uh, feel the same way. But it's been a real pleasure having you on. Thank you for sharing so much information. And I know that uh, we're all proud of you. You're on the in the Hall of Fame at our college, and you're one of our great alums. And I know you support the school, continue to have supported the school, and you've just made a great life for yourself and your family. And thank you so much for being on. Well, thanks, Joe. And thanks for 
taking care of that young freshman many, many years ago to make him feel welcome. <laughs> I was probably trying to steal some money from you in cards or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you might have. I don't know. That might have been one of my freshman duties, you know, to play card to me to rob me or something. That's it. <laughs> well, thanks, Tony, and good luck. If there's anything I can ever do, give me a holler. Thanks, Joe. Same to you. Okay, take care. All right, you too.